Welcome to Prima's 2017 podcast series. My name is Shonda Ragland. I am the Director of Education and Training at Prima. On this Prima podcast, Eugene Kipnis and Ben Spear will discuss 2017 cybersecurity trends and threats. Eugene and Ben will share steps public risk management professionals can take to protect their entities. Eugene is a program specialist for the Multi-State Information Sharing and Analysis Center, MSISAC, a division of the Center for Internet Security. He works on the stakeholder engagement team with our nation's state, local, territorial, and tribal SLTT governments in order to provide them with access to the many MSISAC services and information products which support organizational security posture and awareness. Eugene focuses on managing the accounts of hundreds of MSISAC member governments and organizations across the Northeastern and Midwestern U.S. With a degree in international relations concentrated on global security from the University of Rochester, he sees the importance of securing our nation's many SLTT entities as a component of the larger national cybersecurity program. Ben Spear is a senior intelligence analyst with the MSISAC, where he develops intelligence products and serves as a subject matter expert on cybersecurity issues for SLTT. Ben is primarily responsible for the analysis of trends identified in MSISAC's monitoring of SLTT Net. Ben graduated in 2010 from the University of Albany, SUNY, and obtained a Master of Public Administration degree concentrating in Homeland Security and Information Strategy and Management from the Rockefeller College of Public Affairs and Policy in 2012. We will also be joined by Taekwon Gilbert, a member of Prima's education and training team. Taekwon will moderate the discussion. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you for being a part of Prima's podcast series. Let's get started. What should we expect in 2017 regarding cybersecurity trends and threats? Well, at the end of last year, we conducted an unscientific Twitter poll, and our followers found the Internet of Things to be the top concern going into 2017. Uh, The Internet of Things is the general term for everyday objects and household items that are connected to the Internet. Examples include smart TVs, routers, smart thermostats, uh, and smart home devices, among many others. Although convenient, these devices often come out of the box with very few security features, little to no security support, and often remain in use with default passwords in users' homes. As a result, these devices are easily compromised and and can be used to attack others, which can cause your Internet access to slow down while your device is used as a tool in someone else's cybercrime. At a business level, such devices may unintentionally poke holes in your network through which malicious actors can gain access and, and pivot into secure or sensitive areas. And of course, if they're compromised and used in an attack, not only will it use your company's internet access bandwidth, but it will also make it look like your company is part of the attack. And I always like to note that while IoT has been a significant story in the general security discussion, the MSISAC does not believe that attacks by Internet of Things devices will be as large as a security concern for the public sector at this time. From a risk perspective, Wearable IoT devices do bring up concerns similar to the concerns associated with the Bring Your Own Device BYOD movement. Uh, An organization should have knowledge and preparation for the introduction of these devices into their environments. However, we've yet to see Internet of Things have a major impact on SLTT governments in the way that it has impacted other sectors. Most notably, thus far, SLTT governments have not been the primary targets of IoT-based botnets, such as the very large and notable distributed denial of service attacks from the Mirai botnet. 
Perhaps the biggest thing that I like to say to temper people's concerns on Internet of Things, though, is to note that most organizations have truly been dealing with Internet of Things for several years. Common systems like teleconference hardware, printers, and building management systems all run similar embedded software, and the same methods used to secure those, such as changing default passwords, segmenting them away from the Internet if there's no required business need for doing so, are useful in securing any of the Internet of Things that are unintentionally or intentionally brought into your network. And you also want to make sure that you know what devices and software are running on your network so you can patch and protect them. And another is is data dump reuse, which is also a large concern following several high-profile data breaches recently. Cyber criminals have been known to use open-source data dumps to attempt to access other accounts. Because as we know, although we're all told to use different passwords for our different accounts, many of us just don't follow that guidance. Uh, The problem with password reuse is that it's easy to find other accounts used by the same person. So if the password is compromised for one account, malicious actors can find the other accounts and try the passwords there too. Uh, If you've reused your password, then they'll just have access into all of those other accounts. Uh, Cyber criminals also sell or publicly post stolen usernames and passwords, social security numbers, and other information that increases potential exposure. Uh, With certain accounts, that means malicious actors can steal money, impersonate individuals online, conduct identity theft or financial fraud, or target friends, family, and coworkers with spam campaigns, to list just a few of the concerns. If the malicious actors gain access to an enterprise network, there's even greater damage that can occur with access to sensitive information in the workplace. And the last thing that has been a threat for some time now and we think will continue to be prominent is ransomware and extortion-based threats. Ransomware is malware that aims to block a user from having access to their own systems, commonly by encrypting the infected computer's files against the owner's will. Now, often an individual infected with ransomware will attempt to log onto their system only to be met with a request for money in order to unlock access to their computer. And this makes it impossible for victims to perform their professional tasks or access their own data until they fix the issue or pay the ransom. Now, most commonly, these cyber criminals are setting up the extortion so that the victim has to pay using a much less traceable online form of currency, uh, such as Bitcoin, or also even payment cards from certain stores. Now, unfortunately, paying the ransom is also no guarantee that you will get your access to your data back as you're dealing with criminals and not a legitimate business. The ransomware grew in 2016 especially, and we expect that to continue. Now, cyber criminals typically spread ransomware through malicious email attachments as well as through malicious advertisements where they uh, take over an ad and they are spewing malware through it. This highly prevalent form of malware, uh, ransomware, uh, can be partially mitigated by keeping your systems and antivirus software patched and up-to-date with the most recent versions, as well as maintaining regular backups. Now, with backups, you want to make sure that you're saving a copy of your files to a secondary device or location. Uh, Many of these ransomware variants can infect connected devices, such as backups that are plugged in or connected over the network. So you want to make sure that you're keeping them offline uh, to protect them from infection. Otherwise, those backups aren't going to be as useful. And to watch out for ransomware uh, infections, you really want to be wary of suspicious emails. You don't want to click on any attachments or uh, links that would come from untrusted sources. What are the top three threats to state, local, tribal, and territorial governments? 
Well, as we mentioned earlier, the MSI SAC is fortunate enough to have significant insight into the threats facing SLTTs uh, due to our huge state, local, tribal, and territorial government membership base uh, and federally funded network monitoring, which surveys the nation's SLTT government networks. Financially motivated malware disseminated by cyber criminals remains the number one threat impacting state, local, and tribal and territorial governments. While the news focuses on nation-state actors and hacktivists, the vast majority of activity that we see in our network monitoring is financially motivated malware. Malware that we often see includes click fraud malware, where the browser is hijacked to generate revenue, uh, credential stealing, where the actors put up fake login pages or monitor your keyboard input uh, to collect your passwords for your bank account, taxes, other accounts, uh, ransomware, as we discussed earlier, and, and malware that even just downloads other malware. The best way to protect against these is to surf the web responsibly by only visiting trusted known websites, downloading from trusted sources, and purchasing on secure sites with encryption. We also like to tell people to think before you click on any links to unknown sites or attachments in your emails. Now, many people wonder after 25 years, how is malware still the most common threat? And the reality is the accessibility of malware tools on the underground market, as well as the ease with which to disseminate those tools, makes for a low barrier to entry. In last year's Verizon Data Breach Report, they identified that nearly 30% of phishing campaigns in which they send emails trying to convince you to click on something uh, were successful. And all the malicious actors need is just a few people to click on the link or open the attachment. In a world of 3 billion internet users, even a 1% success rate will generate a tidy sum for the bad guys. We also continue to identify DDoS attacks as a major concern for our SLTT members. Um, a DDoS, or it's, it actually stands for Distributed Denial of Service Attack, is when a threat actor uses one or more methods to overwhelm a target system with more activity or traffic than it can handle, uh, which causes it not to function properly or perform its services. This can lead to the complete prevention of any service or very noticeable slowing of services online. While we do not observe the very large attacks that often make the news uh, among our SLTT members, it is still possible for smaller attacks to be disruptive and make big impacts. DDoS attacks may occur for a variety of reasons. They remain the predominant tool used by hacktivists and attention-seeking cyber threat actors. Other uses include diversions from other malicious activity, although that is much more rare. Risk managers should be aware that tools are available for mitigating DDoS attacks. At a minimum, organizations that believe they may at some point be the target of a DDoS attack should work with their internet service provider or ISP to coordinate a response plan. If your organization is a regular target and the ISP's actions are not sufficient to mitigate a DDoS attack, there are specialized DDoS mitigation service providers that can be contracted. Now, the last thing that we've been tracking here at the MSISAC over the last few years have been the concern of supply chains and we've seen multiple incidents recently. We look at supply chain from two different perspectives here. There's the traditional concern, which is the arrival of compromised or counterfeit electronics and software for manufacturers, and the possibility of intercepting these to install malicious tools prior to delivery. However, an even greater concern that risk managers should be aware of is that of third-party vendors. In a few cases in the last year, entities which allow third-party vendors remote access into their networks saw infections traversing that connection to impact them. Uh, Third-party software is also an area of concern, as some proprietary software requires the use of other outdated software. Now, perhaps the most recent prominent case of this was the ransomware hospital incident that dominated the news cycle in spring of last year, uh, which occurred due to the use of server software that had last been released several years ago. 
The MSI Act does recommend that you ensure your purchases are made through reputable sources. And when you're contracting with a third party, you want to make sure you have a security clause in there in the contract to make sure that they're meeting the security levels that you require as a, a state, local, tribal, or territorial government. What are some common scams that you see affecting public entities? Well, the business email compromise scam has been the most popular over the last year, and several common variants have been lumped into this category. The original variant of this saw financial and HR staff receiving emails from a compromised or a spoofed CEO's account. Spoofed means uh, uh, masquerading to look like it came from the CEO. Urgently seeking a wire transfer or sensitive employee data. Uh, other variants that have been lumped in include the purchase order scam, where an invoice from a third-party vendor is falsified. W-2 phishing, where the actors are looking to gain access to employee tax information uh, by getting someone to send it to them or provide it. The last two months, there have been a variety of reports from entities who were the victim of the tax fraud and W-2 phishing variants of this scam, uh, and, and it's always happening. Now, spam itself has also increased significantly in a general sense, and Amongst that, login credentials phishing is among the worst offenders. These emails use a particular theme aimed at getting the victim to click a link. The link then sends users to a fraudulent login website in an attempt to trick them into entering their legitimate username, password, uh, even sometimes other personal information. There's cases where with banking sites, they ask them to put their PIN number in, which is something your bank would never ask for. Now, this information is then stolen and used by the criminals and sometimes they're distributed online for sale or reuse. Similar to the concerns mentioned about data reuse, once bad guys have those passwords, there's a range of further actions that can be taken to compromise the individual or an organization. Now, beyond these two major scams of business email compromise and traditional login credential spam, we do have continue to see the other common traditional scams, including the tech support scam, in which the malicious actors pretend to be a major company, try to convince you to buy software to fix a problem. And then there's everyone's favorite, the Nigerian print scam, where the scammer needs help moving a large sum of money out of the country. And if you agree, the scammer asks you to provide a few thousand dollars to cover a fear tax. And of course, you'll never see that money uh, again, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and based on the data that we have been watching, uh, the MSISAC expects cyber threat actors using a combination of research and social engineering will produce more accurate phishing emails and tailored lures with fewer obvious mistakes. Uh, there's just not going to be as many glaring gra grammatical errors. It's going to look more credible. This is going to make it even harder to identify these scams and lead to the need for better practices in mitigating them. What kinds of threat actors should state and local governments be concerned about? Sure. So the actors we're seeing that are impacting state, local, tribal, and territorial governments, uh, the most are cyber criminals and hacktivists. And cyber criminals, as we discussed earlier, remain the prominent threat actors due to their use of financial malware, which impacts SLTTs most often. In addition to malware, there are also cyber criminals who attempt to compromise and sell SLTT government data. Now, some of those claims that we've seen of compromise are false, and they're actually trying to share data that is publicly accessible. Yeah, and, and cyber criminals do come in all shapes and sizes. Uh, some are acting on their own or use pre-made tools, uh, while many are part of large criminal syndicates across borders. Uh, these syndicates act like, much like organized crime with multiple layers of bureaucracy. Uh, they have money mules, malware developers, malware distributors, and even syndicate leadership. Moving from there, there's also this threat of singular cyber threat actors, and this can include cyber criminals and hacktivists. And we've seen in the past 
and we expect this year as well, that these singular actors will conduct a multitude of limited duration campaigns against SLTT governments. Uh, the most popular attack, types of attacks that singular threat actors prefer are DDoS attacks and doxing. Uh, doxing is the release of personal information in a central location in order to harass a targeted individual. And the reason we see most singular cyber actors targeting SLTT governments is because they're trying to gain attention, they're seeking attention. And really the answer is cyber criminals just like to take credit for their activities. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Here's some words from Prima's Member Services Manager, Danica Williams, regarding Prima membership benefits. Prima is a membership organization dedicated to advancing the knowledge and practice of risk management in the public sector. Prima members come from a diverse range of disciplines, entity types, sizes, and share a variety of titles, including risk manager, human resources professional, workers' compensation coordinator, employee benefits coordinator, claims administrator, safety personnel, risk pool administrator, just to name a few. Despite their titles, there is one resounding theme among these individuals, and that is that they manage risks within their entity and importantly, risks affecting the public interest. Prima members enjoy a robust array of educational programming, risk management resources, and networking opportunities. Some of Prima's member benefits include access to blogs, podcasts, webinars, Prima's job bank, Prima's online community where members have the ability to connect, share, and solicit information directly from their colleagues, Prima's library of risk management documents, Prima's flagship publication, the Public Risk Magazine, and member discounts to all Prima events and training. Becoming a Prima member is one of the most worthwhile career investments a risk management practitioner can make, not just for themselves, but for their entire entity. To learn more about Prima member resources, visit primacentral.org. Now back to Ben, Eugene, and Taekwon. What is the best way to secure your environment? So as part of the Center for Internet Security uh, as a whole, uh, the MSI SAC works closely with our team members that are responsible for the uh, 20 critical security controls for effective cyber defense. Um, Tony Sager, our, our chief evangelist and, and the father of the controls, is a big proponent of what's called the Pareto Principle, in, in which 80% of the effects of an event come from 20% of the causes. Uh, as risk managers, you certainly understand the need to focus resources on the appropriate risks, and CIS argues that 80% of the known threats and vulnerabilities in your network uh, and systems can be mitigated by implementing the first five or 20% of these 20 controls. With that, we'd like to focus on those, but also add a few additional components that risk managers can have a role in implementing in their organization. Inventory is always the first step, uh, and you as risk managers probably know this the best, you can't identify the risks and secure something if you don't know it's there. Your organization's IT staff should know every device and every piece of software uh, that they have been operating in their business environment. This is not only important for preventing or tracking theft, uh, but for determining if unauthorized systems or applications have been added to your environment. Uh, that's the first two critical controls. And probably one of the most important things you can do, and you've heard it a hundred times, I'm sure, is patch, 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 patch. Keeping your systems up to date with the latest vendor updates is a basic tenet of cyber hygiene that makes your systems less of an easy target out in the connected world. 
An unpatched system that is out of date presents a much bigger vulnerability than one that is kept updated. When we respond to incidents or identify a compromise, the vast majority of incidents were not targeted, but they're being conducted by actors who are scouring the internet for systems that are vulnerable to the one or two exploits that they happen to have access to. Uh, content management systems, which are used to design websites, for instance, are a perennial target for a select uh, set of actors. Secure configuration is also a very important thing. Patching is great, but you also have to ensure that you're not openly communicating with unauthorized sources by default. Secure practices need to be paired with secure settings on your systems. If your workstations and servers are set up initially or are configured later with security in mind, you can minimize a lot of the risks and vulnerabilities that may exist in your software and systems. The Center for Security actually provides uh, secure configuration guidelines that allow your IT staff to set up systems in a way that follows consensus-based best practices. And you're going to want to use the available and appropriate security tools to secure your systems. Your IT staff should be utilizing security devices like firewalls and intrusion detection systems in order to prevent malicious traffic from getting into your network uh, or to detect possible compromises on your systems once they've happened. Antivirus on workstations that employees use every day is also important to catch any infections that might make it through these other devices. Um, But all in all, a layered defense is the most secure. Another thing you can do is conduct regular vulnerability scans. Vulnerability scans are looking for weaknesses that can be exploited by cyber threat actors and malware. If your IT staff commits to regular scheduled scans, they can keep apprised of what vulnerabilities are inherent in their systems and regularly remediate those vulnerabilities as they pop up. Backups have also become another important risk management practice to protect against compromise. Now, whether it's a ransomware attack, which we mentioned earlier, which blocks access to all your data, or a compromise in which information is stolen or modified, you want to ensure that you have copies on-site and off-site to ensure a quick recovery of the most recent information. These backups, because of that, should be taken fairly regularly to ensure that as little information as possible is lost. One of the most important recommendations that we always also put, in addition with patching and, and inventory, is following the principle of least privilege. Now, not every employee needs to have administrative privileges or needs access to your sensitive financial information or to an employee benefit record. Uh, Even when employees who do, such as system admins, uh, you can have them with two logins, one for the administrative level for when they need the administrative accesses, and one at at the user level for all the other times. Now, you want to carefully assign privileges and access to your employees when it comes to your systems. Be sure to assign the lowest level of access that allows an employee to perform their job. This helps prevent further abuse of access privileges, and it makes it likely that a compromise will get worse or spread to include more systems. And another really, really important one is uh, use multi-factor authentication. Uh, Multi-factor authentication takes a password, uh, which is something you know, and pairs it with either something you are, like a thumbprint scan or biometric data, as we call it, Something and possibly something you have, a, a token, email, or, or a text with a code, or someplace you are, it can be done by location as well. Uh, when you log into your online banking site and the site sends you a text message or email with a PIN to enter, that's multi-factor authentication. Uh, this makes it much harder for an attacker that has your username and password to actually access your systems or data. Uh, consider using multi-factor authentication outside of the workplace as well. Uh, banking, great example, especially on social media platforms and any financial account as it is probably one of the easiest ways to bolster your security, and it's, it's easy to implement and use. 
Also, use strong and unique passwords. <laughs> strong passwords are longer in character length. They contain numbers, upper and lowercase letters, and special characters. Uh, in fact, a so-called passphrase is generally also a really strong choice, as it can be easy to remember while adding more length and sophistication. The longer and more complex a password is, uh, the harder it is to be cracked by an attacker. Um, CIS recommends a minimum of 14 characters in our standards. The unique requirement is also very important, as reusing the same password among multiple login credentials can lead to many of your accounts being compromised and accessed in the event that just one of them has had its credentials leaked or stolen. Then you're falling to the, you know, the, the, the least common denominator there in security. Uh, this is a very, very common way for cyber threat actors to get into more sensitive data and systems. Training is really important as well. If employees are unaware of security best practices, there's no way they can follow them. Make it a recurring program of security training so that people aren't just told policies and practices once they're hired and then they forget them after they're inundated with other information about new instances or escalating responsibilities. End user training platforms are out there for non-technical staff that make it easy to bring these principles in an easy to, easily digestible manner to your employees. Many of these pre-made platforms also offer specialized modules of training for individuals that may have responsibility for handling or viewing healthcare or financial information. What can we do to motivate non-technical staff to be more security conscious? I think probably the first way to, to approach this is make sure you communicate in a non-technical way. Uh, the most valuable information that your staff can get is the information that they actually understand and learn from. Using lots of technical terminology and jargon can be really off-putting to someone who doesn't work in an IT or computing role day in and day out. Uh, try to write or speak on cybersecurity by incorporating topics that people can relate to, uh, discussing issues like how they are impacted by bad security practices related to their own use of online banking, social media, and web browsing. This is a much more easy way to catch users' attention and interest. These principles can then be much more easily related to workplace security practice. Also, seek out some end-user-focused uh, materials such as the MSISAC monthly newsletter, which we have available on our website, and it comes out monthly, or the SANS Ouch newsletter. Uh, these are both resources that are readily made for your organization to redistribute, and they cover topics in a way that non-technical staff can understand. If you can get your staff interested in reading and digesting light material on cybersecurity, they're going to be much more likely to keep the topic in the front of their minds as they're performing their duties. And one of the key things that you can really do is foster a culture of learning from mistakes uh, rather than punishing people. Many employees are intimidated by the prospect of hearing that they did something wrong for, from their security staff. Uh, if your organization can make it a, less, a bit less intimidating and turn that inevitable exchange into one where the security professionals teach meaningful skills and practices to the affected individual, they'll be more likely to get something positive out of the experience and change their practices accordingly. Additionally, a culture of employees being intimidated by the security staff can lead to diminished self-reporting of possible incidents and suspicious activity, which is a terrible loss to your organization's security awareness. If employees feel comfortable reporting suspicious system behavior or the anomalies, your security team will benefit from this knowledge. And related to that culture, gamification has become a popular tool in several industries to encourage buy-in, generate additional customer interactions. There's no reason it can't work in cybersecurity training as well. Phishing exercises don't have to be something people dread. Rewarding people for good cybersecurity practices can be effective. Develop a point system with rewards or just have certificates of excellence uh, can be a great step forward in your organization's cybersecurity awareness. And finally, just make security more visible every day. Uh, use posters, tailor your security training to different job roles. Uh, if you make discussing security and secure practices a part of your everyday business and not just a reaction to an incident, your staff's going to be much better equipped to prevent issues from occurring. 
posters, calendars, and other materials like those the MSI SAC provides to its members, they just add to the general presence of security principles in everyday life at the office. What can public risk management and financial professionals do to improve security across their home organizations? Well, financial staff should work with their IT staff to obtain dedicated systems for financial transactions. By compartmentalizing critical systems in a secure fashion, you can spare these particular assets from some of the risk experienced by your average user and computer workstation. Also, keep apprised of common methods of electronic fraud and the tactics used by cyber criminals to socially engineer your personnel. The MSISAC and the Internet Crime Complaint Center, IC3, they're both valuable resources for this type of information. Despite all the common vulnerabilities and exploits in software, the human layer of operations is always susceptible to fraud and manipulation. And you want to make sure that you're putting in place controls in your business environment so that if this kind of fraud or other cybercrime is not immediately detected, it can be mitigated in its effect. You want to work with your organization as a whole to have a response plan in the case of a cyber incident with individuals identified for each responsibility in response to that event. You want to test these programs and plans on a recurring basis with some variation. Tabletop exercises are a great opportunity to determine gaps in these plans, and the MSISAC offers monthly cyber tabletop scenarios that are targeted to IT staff. Also, consider leveraging the 20 CIS critical controls that we mentioned earlier. These are concise, prioritized cyber practices that strengthen your organization's security posture, and they're actually available at no cost, You can get them on our website at cisecurity.org. I'd also recommend get involved in security policy. Uh, Have a hand in its creation if it's possible. Uh, If your team has input into the creation or changing of security policy, your needs and concerns are much more likely to be addressed than if your team has to react to an unfavorable or inadequate policy that has just been established. And also, finally, understand your options when it comes to cyber insurance and make sure that your team has a clear understanding of the required controls and conditions attached to that coverage if your organization does seek to purchase this type of plan. Uh, The news has recently been littered with stories of organizations which did not receive their insurance payout due to poor security controls. How can the MSISAC help PRIMA members and public entities to improve their cybersecurity posture? Well, as we said, the MSISAC is the primary cybersecurity resource for state, local, and tribal and territorial governments as designated by the Department of Homeland Security. And even better, we have a lot of services that we offer at no cost, including membership as well. Uh, It's super simple to become an MSISAC member. All you need to do is sign a non-disclosure agreement stating that you'll respect the privacy and sensitivity of the information we share with you, uh, and you can gain access to a wealth of our information and services. On a proactive basis, the MSISAC can provide free IP and domain monitoring of some SLTT government assets. And this includes identifying compromised user credentials that are posted to a few websites. We're looking out for compromised systems, web defacements of, of uh, your websites, and systems needing patching or updating. And we do all of this in a non-invasive fashion that will not require any assistance from your IT staff to get running. Most of this is achieved through correlating our feeds of intelligence and data with the information that we provided by our members to see if any of their assets are being identified as sources of malicious activity. And we also always keep an eye out on the websites where cyber threat actors tend to dump stolen credentials and identify any that include an email address originating from members' organizations. The MSISAC also provides free incident response and digital forensics to any SLTT entity nationwide, whether or not you are a member. And this can be leveraged by calling our Security Operations Center, or our SOC, at 1-866-787-4722, or emailing SOC at cisecurity 
SOCsecurity.org. That's SOC at CISecurity.org. Most of this assistance is done remotely, though we have a flyaway team event in flyaway team in the event that your incident may require this type of on-site assistance. Additionally, our CERT team has the ability to perform digital forensics for your organization in order to determine how a compromised system got hit and provide recommendations for good practices to prevent that from happening in the future. And information sharing is a key part of the MSI-SAC's mission, uh, and we do that in a variety of ways. Primarily, one of the, the greatest methods in which we can have information sharing facilitated is uh, we host a conference call monthly to share what we're seeing in current activity with our members. Uh, also, on an ad hoc basis, the MSI-SAC notifies its membership of known vulnerabilities in popular software, as well as ongoing threats and trends affecting state, local, and tribal and territorial governments. These are great intelligence products for your IT staff to use in keeping up to date on the latest vulnerabilities, threats, and trends. Also, on a regular basis, the MSI-SAC provides individuals in the IT leadership at your governments uh, with actionable intelligence, such as our list of top malware sources that can be integrated into your security program. With your IT leadership blocking our reported top sources of malicious traffic, you can greatly diminish the everyday threats to your organization. In fact, one member reported an 80% reduction in malicious activity on one of those monthly calls. Members of the MSISEC can also receive access to our secure online information sharing community, where SLTT professionals working cybersecurity across the nation can collaborate. And this is a place where we host discussion boards and other materials like state and local government information security policies that can be used as examples when crafting your own policy and risk management principles. Additionally, uh, the MSISEC also provides end-user focus newsletters, as we mentioned earlier, uh, which can be rebranded with your organization's seal and IT contact information so that you can foster better security knowledge among your workforce. Uh, this is a great resource that's not only able to supplement your cybersecurity awareness program, uh, but can also help you start one if you don't already have it. And the last thing is that we have something called the Malicious Code Analysis Platform, or MCAP, uh, which is a great tool for IT personnel which provides a safe and private environment for them to analyze suspicious email attachments and other possible malware. We do also have, you know, some security training opportunities. Um, your, your, work, your workforce can greatly benefit from some basic security training that's not technical in nature, strictly speaking. Like your financial and accounting staff does not need to be able to perform the same services that your IT staff does, but they do need to know how they can minimize their cybersecurity risk through healthy computing practices. We have a, a trusted purchasing alliance, um, though it's now called CyberMarket, where we're able to offer really deep discounts for MSISAC members on popular cybersecurity training for non technical employees, like that provided by the SANS Institute. The MSI SAC is also responsible for a national webcast every other month with a guest speaker on a popular cybersecurity topic. Um, we've had a, a range of speakers, and we actually had um, some individuals discussing the Internet of Things and uh, how you can implement employee training and awareness programs. These are all just items that we offer at no cost. We also offer real-time network monitoring devices at a competitive price and to perform network security assessments, penetration testing, and uh, vulnerability assessments for a fee. We have reached the end of our podcast. Thanks so much, Ben, Eugene, and Taekwon. Please visit the Prima website to listen to other Prima podcasts, join upcoming Prima webinars, read Prima blogs, and learn about additional Prima educational resources. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and our very own Prima Talk. Have a great rest of the day.